All right, everyone, we are back for back-to-back nights of episodes. This is the Emergency Nine Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maroney, alongside McLean Boyd and Jay Woodson. Unfortunately, uh, Tom is being a solo dad and, and dealing with a sick child. So uh, we wish Henry his son best. Hopefully he's doing all right. And uh, good luck, Henry, if Tom's dealing with you. So <laughs> that's all I'll say. You know, so we do have a, a three man, three man show tonight. Hopefully you guys listen to the pod that McLean and I did last night on kind of DraftKings strategies preview. Hopefully you joined our contest. McLean put it out on Instagram today and we got a decent little, uh, little crew of listeners joining us for the weekend. Um, just a $5 entry, nothing crazy, but we can all follow along with each other's picks and, and the standings and, and see how we do. And you guys can compare yourselves to us experts as I use air quotes for those <laughs> listeners who can't see. I did. I got to shout out Luke Myers though. He did respond to McLean's post and he just wanted to uh, a friend of the pod, good friend of Jay's. He commented, he just goes, can I just copy Mike's? Cause that guy is on a tear. And I, I kind of second, I kind of agree with him. So you have been on a tear. Although it's been pretty impressive. Who, who won last week it was Tom, right? Tom did win last week. I Tom think. won last week. So, but anyway, so hopefully you guys enjoyed that and listened to that and got a little something out of it as you were making your picks to join us uh, this weekend. So I, I wish Tom was here because we were going to recap in detail, shot by shot, our uh, MAPGA Pro Scratch that we played in on Monday. <laughs> Tom was nice enough to come up to Richmond, came up Sunday afternoon. We played the Foundry. Didn't do that great, and it only got worse on Monday when we woke up and played on the pro scratch. So <laughs> we had a great time. It was hot as hell. Five hours and 15 minutes. Sweated our asses off. <laughs> and it just I'll, I'll just put it this way. Most of the memorable things were bad shots. <laughs> That's never good. <laughs> Especially on the second hole. I had a bad drive, laid up, par five. Tom was in a greenside bunker, not a great lie. Had a perfect little yardage, hit a wedge right at it, whack off the flagstick, 15 yards off the front of the green. Ugh. And Tom's yelling for it to go in the hole. And then I'm now trying to get up and down to save par. And so he looks at me as we're as we're getting to the cart after the hole. He goes, I really hope that's not a bad omen for the day. <laughs> and let's just see three provisional balls later for the two of us combined, a couple of three putts. I bladed one into some woman's uh, morning coffee on a hole. That was pretty funny because no one in my group saw it. They were all off to the side of the green. I was like 40 yards short. They were all talking to each other as I'm getting over this little 40-yard pitch shot and just bone it over the green. And they look <laughs> they look up at me, and I got my hands on my head, and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, did you guys not see that? Where'd that go? And they're like, no, we never saw it. All three of them in my group just completely missed it, which is probably a good thing. So not, You're not that important. No, and then and then Tom had to hit one holding the steel, had to stand in a bunker holding the the graphics on the shaft of his club to hit one that was ball was out of the bunker. He was standing inside the bunker, Uh, and that was pretty much it. I did. I will say the one highlight was 15 at Dominion Club here, drivable par four over the water. I said, "What the fuck? I'm going to go for it." It was like 250 to cover the front edge. It was like 280 flag. I hit to like 15 feet. And Tom looks at it and he goes, that's the closest ball we've had today. <laughs> <You hit> driver. 
<laughs> and I hit driver. Uh, and then I proceeded to leave the eagle putt short and tap in for birdie. So, <laughs> so how fitting. Yes, that's how it was. So that's how how it went. We did have a good time, and uh, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll try to do something again and redeem ourselves. But you know, again, this is why uh, he sells underwear, and I run an adult daycare because <laughs> we're not very good <laughs> at golf. I, you guys but, send me the swings. You, a couple clips. They look good. I tried you to really like hold swinging good. I tried to really hold that finish. That was on the 18th tee box. I tried to hammer one and kind of drop kicked it, but um, fooled me. Yep, I then just decided to splash one on the water when I went for the par five and two there. So, some of that video evidence will be making its way to social media. Yeah, uh, I, it was, I also have it, Jim. I mean, if you if you happen to delete that McLean, you're okay with that too. That's that's fine. That doesn't have to make the airways. I tried to use on one of the holes. I tried to use a shot tracer app thing that I had never used before. It did not work out very well. So, oh well. It, Tom didn't hit a good shot anyways when I was trying to use it. <laughs> Maybe that would have been more fun. Anyways, so let's get into some golf. That's what everyone's here for, not talk about Tom and I sucking ass. So we'll cover a little bit of Congaree. I know we're doing this late on Wednesday, so thank you for uh, hanging in there with everyone's crazy schedules here in uh, in summer. We'll talk a little about Congaree and, and some kind of newsworthy items that came out of the weekend, and then we'll spend a lot of time on. On this week's U.S. Open, we got our third major of the year. So first off, let's let's go to Congaree. Uh, Garrick Higo wins. I think more of the story. You know, South African guy has played really well on the on the European tour this year with a couple wins. Comes over here and wins. I don't know if it was on his first event overseas on, on this side of the pond, but second event, second event. Yeah, and it was pretty early. So a, you know, big win for him in his career. Probably a big boost gets PGA Tour uh, status now. But I guess Chesson Hadley might be the bigger story. Starts the day with a three-shot lead and finishes bogey, bogey, bogey to lose by one, miss the playoff, and talk about costing him a lot of money. He went from a win to tied second with like four other guys or three Six other guys. Six-way tie for second. Six-way tie for second, so even worse. Mm. So yeah, that's a lot of money he lost there. So what were, what were your takes um, uh, on Congaree? McLean, let's go there since that's one of your favorite courses in the world. Obviously, I think it was a great host for the event from a golf perspective. I think because of where it's located, it was maybe a little bit different logistically, but they were able to still draw pretty good crowds, um, which I think was surprising. But I think it's also a testament to what a great facility they have. And I think there were a lot of guys from that area that have probably heard of Congaree, but have never been inside the gates. So I think that was maybe a lot of the draw for some of the serious golfers around there. Um I know a couple of guys got to stay on property and I would guarantee if you talk to any one of those guys that had the, the uh, luxury of being able to stay on property at Congaree there for the week, they would say they'd love to be back and do it again. Um, as far as the golf is concerned, I mean, man, I just hated watching what happened to Chesson coming down the stretch there. Um, really good guy. Um you know, it's it's unfortunate at any time. And it's one of those things where I feel like you have it's tough to sometimes find words to describe what happened, especially as someone who's um anyone who's been a good player or played in some some higher level golf, we all know that feeling. It's it's very difficult to sit here and just bash a guy and say that he choked or he folded, whatever it is. Um, because there's so much more to it than that. Uh at the end of the day, it was it was 
tough to watch, quite frankly. I mean, he had some really rough shots. I think he did handle it really well um, on Monday, coming out and making a little bit of a statement and kind of owning up to what happened. He said, hey, you know, I played some really bad golf there uh, in that last stretch, and I'm going to be a better play of, better player for it. And I hope that that's what happened. I mean, I, I hope it is one of those learning experience uh, items. I know Jay can attest to this. The more you put yourself in that position, the better you handle it the next time you're there. So when everything when all the dust settles, I hope that's how it ends. Um, but uh, at the same time, when we look at some guys that spent some money, I know we've talked about this before, uh, that final group on 18 spent a lot of money between him and Harris English. Uh, that was a, a yeah. big spending 25 minutes. I, I know that much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, I watched definitely watched those last couple holes up. You're right, uh, McLean. It's hard to watch. You know those guys just kind of struggle there at the end. I mean, you, you, it's nothing. It's just it's hard. I mean, everybody's. If you played golf long enough, you've been there. You know things are going great. You, you know you're playing with the lead, and then for whatever reason, you hit a couple bad shots, and then that confidence is gone, and you just it's like you're like a deer in headlights. You're like I don't know where it's going. You just can I just can I get in? Can I get in quick enough and still win? Um. That's when you, you know, you see some of these guys who are, are the top-notch players. They just they're so good all the, all the way through the bag. Um, they can make up for some of the bad shots. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I just some of the plays at the end. I know he was playing that three-wood hybrid bump and run shot. I know because there's a lot of runoff areas. And I, I, I mean, I've never really been a fan of that shot. I just feel like you have take a springy club with a, a face that's supposed to have a lot of like it's supposed to make the ball jump off the face. And then you're trying to hit a real soft, delicate feel shot. You know, I was just, I, I didn't like to play on the last hole, but I don't blame him for playing it. Cause that's what he played all week, but I wouldn't want to be in a position where I, I was trying to win a golf tournament. And I've got a, you know, three wood or hybrid in my hand trying to get up and down when it's like, man, you could, he could have taken his putter and towed it up there closer than he hit that, that hybrid or that, three wood but, i totally agree i mean that, you, you got to give it to him he's stuck with what he was doing but you know sometimes you're like you know what hey man i'm nervous as hell and this may not be the best play let me just get this thing up there as close as i can with the easiest club you know even if it's a daggone seven iron has less spring in the face than that i i don't know i don't you know it's just one of those things um but well, i feel like that's the kind of play that he you know maybe the nerves were there and he was trying to avoid the big miss and well, I, I will mean, say it is. He had a big mess, you know. Yeah, it, it is trimmed incredibly short around those greens. I mean, the lies are very, very tight. So, at the same time, though, I'm a little bit surprised that a player who, especially a, a pretty confident player in Chesson, um, yeah, wasn't confident enough to grab a wedge and hit that shot the way it needed to be played, like a pitching uh, wedge. I, I mean, I, don't, I, I was looking at it like I was just like a little pitching wedge, just bump it up on the green and let it release. The well, greens I mean, even look a pitching wedge is even a pitching wedge is playing somewhat conservatively. I mean, I, yeah. I would have liked to have seen him in that situation um, take something maybe with a little bit more loft on it, maybe one hop it or potentially land it yeah. on the green and try to control it a little bit more, get it close. I just think and. I know that's very easy for me to Monday morning quarter, Monday quarterback, sure. right? But at the same time, um, I couldn't agree with what you said more. To have a club with that springy of a face, the 18th hole, when you get up <sighs> and down to get into a playoff. I mean, that is just such an yeah. – when you said seven irons, they're like, I, 
I will play that shot a little bit with a seven iron, but I would never consider it with a hybrid or a metal wood because of how hot that face is. Does that have zero feel more? Yeah. Zero feel. It's very, very difficult to control that speed. And what was it on 17? He hit it with the hybrid again and hit a hell of a shot and got up and down for bogey. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. he, he was obviously practicing it. He stuck to his game plan of, of using that shot and making it a part of uh, his game when he was around the greens. Yeah. But, you know, I, I just – I was never a fan of it, and yeah. I, I didn't like watching it. Yeah, I mean, the eight iron he hit into the green from a perfect live, perfect angle. I think he had 162, 165 in, something like that, eight iron. I mean, it yeah, was – Yeah, that was that, the egregious miss there. That was the big – that was the big miss that hurt. Oh, you know, that that's – you know, you give a, a PGA Tour player an eight iron on the last hole of a golf tournament and, and you know, with a pin that's – all he had to do was – you know, hit something in there below the, below the hole, give himself a putt. I mean, it's, I know it sounds easy. I mean, you know, I've been there, I've hit terrible shots. I've, you know, choked coming in. I mean, we've all done it. I mean, and again, we've, that we kind of hold that word, you know, dear because we, we don't want to throw it around, but um, you know, you've had those holes where you just couldn't get it together at the end. And, you know, that's, that's, what's, it's incredible about golf. It's just, it's hard. It's hard. You're not just, it's not who's the best player, who can hit the ball the most solid. It's who can, <laughs> who can control the ball, who can control their, and predict their next shot under an enormous amount of pressure. Um, it's a hard game. That's I mean, it's one of the hardest games of, of all time. No teammates there, no one else to pick you up. It's not like hey, I'm having a bad shooting night. Uh, John Paxson's he's ripping it up. I'm gonna kick it out to him and let him you know win the game. There's none of that. No. Yeah, I think <clears throat> nerves had to. I mean, it was obvious loss of confidence. I hate to say nerves, but to have those misses in a row and not be able to tune it out on 18, because at the end of the day, if you'd have told him all he needs is a par and you yeah. are 160 in the middle of the fairway, everyone takes that yeah. at the beginning of the week. There's not one player on the planet, especially on the PJ Tour, that's not like done deal, couldn't put myself in a better situation as many eight irons as these guys probably hit on the driving range. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the most comfortable clubs I feel like in most guys bags um, because of how often we hit eight irons. It falls in that yardage where you hit a lot of eight irons mm. in the par fives or par fours. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was tough. You can call it what you, what you want it to be. Um, but man, it, uh, what did you, watch. what did you, you call it? I think, I, I mean, I know it's a little longer term. You just said loss of uh, loss of confidence. That that's what I, mean, I think that's, it truly was at the end of the yeah. day. If if, I, if we're making an accurate description of what we yeah. saw happen, without just trying to bash a guy, yeah, he, he went through a loss of confidence. We saw yeah. the shots that he hit on seventeen. Um, we saw the shot that the drive on eighteen wasn't necessarily a great drive. He didn't get up there and pound it, hit it really solid. I mean, it was a little skanky, little, uh, little, but it was all he needed to do. Yeah, it was all he needed to do. But it was in, it wasn't a good spot. It was in a good, it was in a good position. He you know that's exactly right. That's exactly right. He had a little uh, <clears throat> you know little bit out there on the toe. Got it into the fairway, and at the end of the day, he was happy to have it where he was. But yeah. it wasn't a, a confidence boosting swing. He yeah. didn't smoke it into the screws and come off that tee walking fast. Like all right, we got this. We're back, and uh, he just wasn't able to get out there and yeah. put that behind him. He wasn't able to put it behind him. That's why I say a loss of confidence. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's a good good way to put it. It just it sounds a little better because everyone can can agree uh, 
can uh, relate to that, that loss of confidence. You've been there like, oh man, I just, I don't know what happened. I, I don't, I didn't know where it was going. Like, I didn't know it was going left, right. I didn't know I was going to make contact. I didn't know I was going to get airborne, but you know, that the choke word is always a little weird. So I, I'd prefer not to use it really. I mean, you can tell when someone just absolutely chokes it. And I just feel like he just, he just kind of lost a little confidence at the end and he just couldn't. I, th- I know, think there had to have been some, some of the pressure had to have, have gotten to him because he's not sure. having he's not having a good year. He didn't play well last year. It's been a while since he had his victory. You know, he's only made seven cuts out of 19 tries this year. You know, so obviously he hasn't put himself in that position in a long time. Hard to sleep on the lead, too. It's it's tough. I mean, when you're being hunted and then when you are hunting, is there are two different things. It's like Garrick, I mean this young kid to come out, he's got no pressure. He's like, Hey man, I'm not, I'm not leading. I'm going to just, I've been playing great. I didn't realize he'd won twice over in the European tour. I mean, gosh, why didn't I pick this guy? He's on fire. I will say there is a difference between winning on the European tour and then coming over and playing on the PGA tour. I mean, that's not the common trend is not win on the European tour and then just go play on the PGA tour and then you win. So I will say he, he definitely, he won up that category uh, for most of the guys when they come over. They, you know, again, the the fields are a little weaker. It's not as many. It's wins a win. I get it, but most of those guys just don't come over after winning over there and just go right into winning on the PGA Tour. So, pretty impressive uh, for this young kid, twenty three years old, I think. Um, sits it super solid, smashes it apparently, and it made an unbelievable par. Uh, it was either on sixteen or seventeen, just to to stay in it. He was in the woods and hit this crazy little, you know, kind of pitch hook around the trees to get it on the green and made the putt for par. But I think he can come over here. No one really knows who he is. A lot of the players don't probably know who he is. And he can kind of, yeah, he's, he can probably come over with a little confidence. Like, yeah, guys, I'm, I'm probably better than most of you, especially with a weak field. Yeah. You know, you don't know who I am, but I'm going to kick your ass. And yeah, um, you got to watch out for those guys. Well, and another kind of cool story out of uh, Congaree was Tane Lee uh, leading in the third round of the golf tournament, Monday qualifier. Um, Really cool story. Just not something that you see very often. Uh, And I think the guy ended up finishing T15, which is an incredible finish for a Monday qualifier. Um, But the fact that he put himself in the mix, um, went to college somewhere in Southern California. I forget they said, but it wasn't, uh, wasn't one of the bigger schools. But uh, the kid can obviously play. He's been playing mini tours for a while and has, uh, I believe, some has spent a little bit of time on the um, uh, Corn Ferry Tour. But long story short, it's just cool to see a Monday qualifier get some uh, get some coverage and get into the mix. And how about another? How about another South African, the twenty one year old Wilco Nienaber. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Yeah, I just yeah. looked it up. I had to before I was going to say it on, on the podcast. I just looked it up, and it's called Nienaber. Which is makes me like him even more. He I thought it was Nibud something a little bit more smooth, but Ninaber no. is fine. I We're mean, gonna go with fucking Ninaber because that's what I just read he, on on the internet, and the internet never lies to me. Jay. It never does. It never never does. I mean, well, never he apparently just Ninobs it out there. He he smashes it, hammers it. Average three sixty one for the week. It was <laughs> like sixteen yards longer than second place. Not sixteen yards longer. Now, Congaree was playing firm and fast. So they yeah, but they're all playing it firm and fast. Well, no, I agree with that. But when you just look at that 361 number, it seems it's it's massive. Yeah. Um, but that, that's, still, that's still realistically probably 340, 345 on a yeah, course that doesn't run out. 
16 yards longer than the next guy is, and you've got Dustin Johnson in the field and Brooks Kepka in the field. I mean, that's, that's, that's real stuff. That's deep. So like, listen to some of these. Now this is not apples to apples. Um, but if you look at average ball speeds, so Bryson all season, his average ball speed has been, he's leading tour 190.39 miles per hour. He is Bryson's six miles an hour faster than third place, which is Brandon Hager. Camming champs at 189 ball speed. Wilco's ball speed is six miles an hour average this past weekend. It was six miles an hour faster than Bryson. 196 miles an hour average ball speed. Jeez. That's animal. <laughs> that is getting after it. That is animal style. He had a few over 200 miles an hour. Did he I really? Mean, yeah. Someone, I, I I lost it. I had it earlier in the week. Somebody had a list of all his ball speeds. What what is the uh, what Bryson set the fastest you know ball speed recorded on the PJ Tour? What was that at the? Didn't he? It was like two two oh two, I think, or something. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, Wilco, Wilco will smash that if he stays on tour. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he played well. I mean, he finished T fifteen, so it wasn't like you know he was just wailing all over the place and not playing well. But, um, yeah, that's just, I mean, and the guy's like skinny as a rail. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. tall, right? He's got a lot of leverage, but he's not, he's not built like Bryson or has, or how Bryson has built himself. Right. So there's definitely different ways to do it. Yeah, for sure. Um, anyways, I thought that was pretty interesting. A couple, so just kind of cool to see a couple, uh, South African guys who have, Making waves on the European tour, kind of come over here and, and, and make you some were, waves too. You were talking about Tane Lee, uh, one of the qualifiers. Um, at least he didn't get in a fight. And I know. To- oh, can we that. please yeah. touch on that? Yes. Can uh, you believe that? I'm, I'm not going to lie. This is that's not the first time I've heard of a fight in a you know qualifier or a mini tour event. It's the first time that I've seen someone get arrested. Um, yeah, so for those who don't know, and I may get some of these details wrong, but uh, this past Monday, uh, there was a Monday qualifier for the Corn Ferry Tour. And they play in threesomes, caddies, and these two guys got in a verbal altercation, which then turned into a physical fistfight altercation with the caddy of one of the guys preventing the third guy in the group from going to break it up. Which, which was, was his, dad, his dad, yeah. Which was his dad, right? And it all started because this guy wasn't helping look for golf balls, and they were on the clock, and they were trying to speed up play. And this guy was like, "I'm not here to help you look for golf balls, and that's not my job." And we said it, it, they'd play faster if he hit it better. <laughs> that's actually what he said. That's what the quote was that I that I read. It, it's absolutely unbelievable. I actually saw in my group one time uh, in a Hooters event in Myrtle Beach. Um, a player and a caddy almost come to blows and it was my shot next. And I flubbed a 40 yard wedge shot about 20 yards. Cause I was, I was so amped up out. My adrenaline was going. I just watched this guy and what happened. This guy turns around and just throws his club and it goes and it hits all up in this other player's cart and hits up into his clubs. And the caddy yells, it was like, you know, take it easy. You know, you're, you're, I don't remember what he said, but it was something about, you know, this bag costs that much. You're breaking other people's stuff. <laughs> and the player goes, I'll leave both of their names out of it. I know exactly who they are, but I'll leave both their names out of it. 
player then gets in the caddy's face about it. And I'm just sitting there and, you know, it's like, it's my shot. And I'm just sitting there going, what is happening right now? What in the world is going on? It didn't come to blows like this did. And the dad didn't, you know, hold him off. Like, I oh, so, let him finish. Let him finish. Like, that's what so I heard the, the dad said. Apparently, the, I guess it was I guess Luke, Luke Smith was one of the guys. Uh, he was the, I guess, Austin Daly was Luke Smith and Austin Daly, the two guys involved. Uh, Austin Daly was frustrated with Luke Smith because he was not helping look for balls, which. Correct. I, I can see both sides of it. It is irritating if, yes, guys are hitting the money qualifiers, you get it. You know, guys, sometimes guys get in there and they're playing, they're not good players, and you're looking for balls. But, you know, it, it's like if you're on the clock, let's let's all try to help and speed this thing up. I mean, that's the common courtesy here. Um, so I kind of – I don't know how he said it. I don't know what, the way he said it to him. But if it was simply, hey, can you help us look for balls, and he gave him a smart remark, I can see why it would be an issue. But – uh, needless to say, it looks like uh, <laughs> after the hole, uh, Luke Smith jumped on the guy's back as they were going to the next tee. Yeah, started, from, be- from behind. From behind, started hammering him in the head. And then apparently the dad came over and kept everybody away so they could fight. Is that, yeah. is that, that what that's, happened? That's how that's I read correct. it, yeah. Are you serious? That's yeah, cool. he was like using using uh, Luke Oliver Smith, the dad, was using Luke's putter to like hold the third guy back. Like as a shield, like stay away. Let them figure let this them, out. Let them figure it out, man. They're men. They're men. Just let them fight. Let them fight it out. Kick so him then, like, off, like, Doug. That's right. The <laughs> the the golf shop was called. I would love to get that one working in a golf shop, man. Um, hey, and they uh, call the cops here on seventeen. Um, yeah. two guys are going at it. <laughs> and then so like they arrest the guy. The guy who got his ass beat you know, withdraws and leaves. So the other guys by himself, they had, they got a marker for him to play around. But then the best part, like two holes later, he's walking down the fairway with a cop giving his official statement to the authorities while he's playing in this Monday qualifier. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> they took, they took his statement on the golf course in the middle of the round while he was still playing. That's awesome. <laughs> so apparently this is, <laughs> this was the comments that uh, uh, one of the other players in the, in the group said that, um, <laughs> Austin Daly, who is the, I guess, the guy who pressed charges on Luke Smith, uh, one of the other accounts from, uh, I guess, the kid's name is Derek Fribbs, said, um, this is in quote what Austin said, if if we could get some help looking for balls and get a flag stick every once in a while, maybe we would catch up. <laughs> so he definitely probably, there, there, already, there was already tension. So either these guys yeah. know each other. Or they were being pricks. I mean, you just don't go from one comment to a fight like that on a golf course. I mean, there, there's definitely some some little you know backhanded remarks that probably led to that. I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie. You've I've definitely met some characters that will definitely you know tick you off, but you obviously you know where to draw the line. Where to draw the line? Apparently, yeah. apparently, this guy did not did not know. Nor did his dad know. Nor did his dad. It was encouraged. Wow. What if his dad? What if his dad was like whispering in his ear, like egging him on? Yeah, come on, man, you can take him. Just wait yeah. till he turns around and goes to the green and you jump on his back. Yeah, that sounds well, like a good idea. <laughs> there's something there. I mean, I don't know. I hadn't met too many father dad combos in those situations that are totally level headed. Normally, they're a little, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Up, you know, I can think of O'Doyle rules. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of. It's kind of well, like that. Well, the dad apparently 
the dad said um <laughs> the dad got in the middle of the fighting before, or the yelling before it started and said um you know his response to, to uh austin's comment was um you know we're not here to babysit or look for golf balls you know basically you you do your thing and we'll do ours and it's like all right man i I get that you're there to play and get get through the Monday qualifier, but I rest. My you know, what happens when you what happens when your son is seven under and duck hooks one on eighteen in the yeah. wood, and you're like, you want a search party for that, and thing. you want a search party so you can get through, and the other guy's like, oh, "Sorry, man, see ya, good luck." <laughs> that was a great story. I was uh, enthralled reading about about that. I just I don't know. It's uh, it's like something you you see in a random Instagram video or something. You know, you know how bad you're playing where you decide that that's because you're obviously not worried about getting through. Like, <laughs> I'm getting ready to jump that's on not... this fucking guy. I'm not letting him talk to me like that and certainly not disrespect my pops. Yeah. It's going down right now on the way to the tee box. When he makes a move, dad, I'm jumping on his back. Silverback. Gorilla. Let's go. Sounds like a great idea, son. I mean, yeah, and, and yeah, the dad's like, "Don't worry, I hold the putter, I hold them off." Yeah, I'll hold them off. Good two minutes. Oh, that's great, man. Yeah, that was a good story. What about? So here's the other thing I wanted to bring it up more. How about Mark Hensby, Congaree? First round gets a ten-stroke penalty. So allegedly, he was on the putting green before the round. Him and Pat Perez were putting towards the same hole using similar golf balls that weren't really marked, I guess. They accidentally switch a couple golf balls. And he realizes at some point during the round, after a few holes, that there's a random mark on his Pro V1. And he's like, what's this dot mean? And it's a different variation of the Pro V1X golf ball that's out there. And he didn't know that he had grabbed it. It looks the same, right? It's the same color stamps. It's just a tiny little dash dot next to the Pro V1X stamp on the side realizes he's been playing with the wrong golf ball for how oh, I guess what five holes um and gets a 10 stroke penalty what what's the well first of all I feel bad for the guy I'm not sure how you don't notice that um I I know how you don't notice it because they put these damn dots on there they're so little it's so ridiculous like just make it I, I don't obvious. know obvious make it more obvious if it's a different ball make it clear like make it red make it green anything to say that it's different they do, all of them do that because they don't really want anybody to know. They do want you to know just so they can say, hey, this is a different ball. Technically, it's a different ball, but they don't want anyone to really see it. I, I hate that. I, I feel bad for them because there's plenty of times when you're on the putty green hitting balls and you get in your, I mean, you just happen to see it. You're like, wait a second. That, that line's a little different on the side of the TaylorMade or the Titleist. Just, that's not, oh, that's a different ball. And if, if you just grab it and you, you know, you put your dot in your normal spot and then maybe you don't, you don't make a line on top of the, the spot that the, the dot is to differentiate the two balls and you play and you're like, holy cow, I'm playing the wrong ball. I can totally see how they do it. Easy. And you feel, you feel bad for the guy too. Cause he's, he's getting up there in age. Um, he doesn't have much status. You know, he hasn't played, gotten into many PGA tour events this year because of his conditional status. And he finally gets in one and yeah. then that happens, you know, yeah. ends up WDing after the round. Um, and so, yeah, so here's a question. What's the worst penalty you've ever gotten? Jeez, you name it. Did we already I've talk about it? The, the DQ from the sectional qualifying or local qualifying? 
Yeah, I did that. That was that was. I mean, we talked about still, that. Yeah, in the end of the day, that was my fault. But yeah, I did that. I I've hit the wrong ball in the fairway. We both were playing the same same ball, but we had same number, but we had different dots on it. And it was early in the morning, and I had a piece of grass that was right over the ball and looked like the dot where mm-hmm. I normally put the dot right over the the lettering of the ball, whichever one I'm playing here recently. It's been Taylor, uh, it's Titleist. Um, but, um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, so I got up to hit it early in the morning. There's a little piece of grass right over the Titleist and it had a, it looked like my dot. So I was like, I hit it and I got up on the green and, uh, it was and the other guy hit his ball too, or he hit my ball and we get up on the green. I'm like, you gotta be effing kidding me. And this is like a second round. I was actually playing pretty good and I had to go back, hit another ball, my ball, the correct ball, take my penalty. Just and it just and then I think I missed the cut by one. You know, it's oh, just one of those yeah, weeks where you're like, yeah, yeah that hurts. That the, those hurt. Yeah, I mean, I've had a bunch. I mean, I can't. The worst one. I mean, you you name them. Um, I've had uh, you know extra clubs in the bag. I've done that one before, but noticed it on the first tee. But still, I've already I noticed after I've teed off. That's an annoying one. I mean, I've had a caddy rake the bunker while I was in it. Mm. Um that had that happen and it it wasn't it was a it, it's now the fact that they the rules in place i understand why it was in place because they don't want somebody getting there testing the sand but i was up by the this was a, like a 50 yard long bunker and i was up by the green the other guy in the group was like literally on the front of the bunker 50 yards away we were behind you know he hits a shot my cat is like hey you know jay you go ahead i'll i'll rake this bunker back here so I, i'm not getting any information from my caddy on that i didn't benefit at all so i get up and hit my bunker shot and the other guys in my group is like he just he just raked the bunker he's like that's a penalty and i'm like yes you're right yes you're right i didn't see it but thanks for pointing that out but you're right it is a penalty oh, that's awful. And my caddy my caddy is just like oh my god what did i do i thought i was helping <laughs> you know i, I was yeah I was helping it's not like out. not like that guy that uh that caddy at bain and dunes in the uh, usam last summer you remember that Oh no! What did he do? It was um, he was he was a a abandoned dunes resort caddy. He was caddying in the USAM for a South African kid uh, who plays at Arkansas. I forget his name. Pinto, his last name. Olivia Pinto. Yeah, there you go. And he was actually playing Tyler Strafacci, who ended up going on to win. I think it was like the quarterfinals. And they're on eighteen. And he's got to get up and down to par five. He's got to get up and down to make birdie, I think, to extend the match or whatever. And he rubs his hand in the bunker to test the, I mean, legitimately to test the sand. And that's, and match flights, loss a hole, loss a match over. Oh, that's, why did he do that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Doing? That's one of the biggest mental gaffes I've, I've seen from a caddy um, to kind of, break like a pretty easy blatant rule that's been obvious for a long time yeah I mean, it's not like a rake or stepping in there funny or putting your feet down funny it was legitimately palm to the, the sand and rubbing to see how like much sand was there but see, yeah that's in, you know our, you learn these as a you know when you're a kid you know if you play in tournament golf it's like you, you never put your hand on on any surface and touch it because unless you're like obviously you're picking something up like a loose impediment, but never, you never put your palm down on any part of the course just because of that simple 
Simple reason. Like anyone yeah. could look at you and say, what are you doing? Why are you yeah, doing exactly. that? Are you, test, are you testing the service? You don't even want to be close to getting accused of that. No. Ugh. But I also think that there needs to be some sort of reasonable level of improvement to where a rule should not be penalizing. If someone's raking the sand 50 yards away from you, it didn't improve your ability. It didn't improve your shot. You obviously yeah. didn't get any information from him on whether the, the sand was firm, compact, yeah. soft. There, there was no reasonable. Um, there's yeah, you no, gained no advantage. It, it, exactly. There was no reasonable advantage gained without yeah. question. And yeah. I think that's where it should go back to. I think we talked about this once before. Go back to the guy players in your group. If they agree that there is no reasonable advantage gained for a stupid infraction like that, I don't think any penalty should be uh, should be given. Yeah, yeah. What about you, McLean? Have you had any weird ones? I'm trying to think back, I'm sure I've done more stupid stuff than anything, but uh, I don't think I've had anything crazy as far as you know more than a two-stroke penalty. I've made bad drops. I've hit multiple balls OB back to back, you know, stuff like that. Um, but that that's about, I think, as far as it goes. The one goofy one that I always stands out with me was a handful of years ago at the State Open. First round yeah. on the 12th hole at Ballyhack. Ball sitting right in the middle of the fairway, and we're waiting for the group to clear the green. And I'm standing there, and I have my rangefinder in my hand and I'm trying to shoot the yardage and I put my like my hands on my hips while I was still kind of holding my rangefinder standing a couple paces behind the golf ball and I bump the rangefinder out of my hand it then tumbles perfectly end over end right into my golf ball I could like see it happening in slow motion I almost wanted to like dive to try to swat it out of the way because I'm on a little bit of a downhill line the thing just rolled perfectly so it's only a one-stroke penalty. Had to replace. It. I actually got up and down for par. Fast forward. Fast forward. Missed a cut by one. So. <laughs> and actually, that was the year I had dinner with you that night, and then you had a huge comeback and won the playoff. You said you were going to shoot sixty-five the next day. Oh. And then you beat Lonzo Griffin, front of the pod, and Mark Lawrence in the playoff that year. Gosh, that's right. And we were sitting at dinner. I remember that. That yeah. is can't believe that 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 really happened that you dropped that that was unbelievable <laughs> i remember i remember texting a buddy about the penalty um and he goes sorry pro that's pretty funny <laughs> and i i had to laugh too it was like just so like what are the odds that, that thing just tumbles like that <laughs> but then the next day when i missed the cut i texted him I'm like yeah that wasn't so funny anymore yeah. he's like he's like please don't tell me you missed the cup by one <laughs> i was like yep <laughs> uh man oh well what are you gonna do so uh here's some kind of news uh rules related news that just came out this afternoon the player advisory council on the pga tour led by rory mcelroy has voted to recommend to the board i guess there's what 16 guys on the player advisory committee council i'm not sure how many people are on the board but they have voted overwhelmingly what the article said to ban uh, green reading books on tour starting next year. The board still has to approve it, but history says 
on the PJ tour, if the council player council overwhelmingly agrees with something, the board doesn't really go against them. So it sounds like green reading books will be banned starting in the fall when the new season starts. We've talked a little bit about yardage books and green reading books and range finders on this podcast. What, what's your take on that news today? I like it. I, I mean, I think it, it's understand that they want to guys want to get information, uh, but I think it's it's going a little bit beyond that. And I think having those those books certainly slows down play. I mean, this is looks like a, a, an exact attack on Bryson. I mean, he is adamant about pulling that thing out after every to analyze every putt. And like, oh, the arrow says this. It's like, oh, it's oh, it's you know, 0.3 degrees, you know, you know, slope this way. And I'm like, oh no, hold on, wait, let's look at it again. It's like it's just it, it just I think it just slows things down and just makes it a little ridiculous. Well, that's so. yeah. So I, I'm in favor of them banning them. I think that's a skill that needs to be learned. Yeah. You know, and I think going, especially for the guys on tour that are going to a different course every week and the subtleties and the tendencies that you have on various courses I, I think that's something you have to learn and it's skill and not just looking at a damn picture yeah on in a book in your hand let's look at the yeah. green let's look at the surroundings what's the, what's the terrain doing um i'm for i'm still not positive if i think it's going to speed up play or not because do these players now stock at 360 degrees three three times try to figure out what's going on because they can't read the greens because normally they just look at the book and then 30 seconds. Oh, yep. This is breaking a little left or right. Or, you know what I mean? So I don't know on the pace of play thing. I I am glad that they're getting rid of them because I do think it needs to be learned, but I just don't know. I can't, I can't make up my mind yet on the pace of play. Well, I think it's kind of interesting that they're eliminating something that you would feel would be an advantage for all golfers. And if the, if pace of play is the true, reason behind the outlaw then i then i understand some of it but the interesting part to me is that i'm not certain whether this is attack on a certain group of players attack on a one individual person or where it really stems from that to me is the whole interesting part of it um the way i look at it. i know it's been talked about for a while now but i really didn't think anything was going to come from it i do agree that there are certain players that it's probably going to help and your field players definitely aren't benefiting, benefiting from it because even me having a green reading book, it's something that I would use, but it's definitely not something I would rely on just because I'm such a field player. And that's just part of the way I play golf. Um, I also don't play golf with a green reading book every day. So I don't know how often I would use it if I had it every day. So I can't speak to the true advantage there, but it definitely to me seems like it would be an advantage across the board. So it's something that I would have thought would have been outlawed by a ruling body, not necessarily by the players. Yeah, well, so that's yeah. kind of the weird thing, right? So I, I've used one once. I shouldn't say I've used one once. I, I had a yardage book for a course I was playing in an event that had it on the yardage book. I didn't really use it because I thought it confused the hell out of me. <laughs> so I just kind of trusted my eyes and I've always considered myself a decent green reader. So I was like, this is confusing me more than actually just doing what I normally do. So again, just like you, I don't have experience using them that much. And I, you know, but I it is interesting. That's a PGA tour, right? So the USGA hasn't outlawed them yet. The USGA did a few years ago, put some restrictions on the grid and the ratio. Um, that these these books can use but you know augusta hasn't allowed them ever 
or at least they banned them a few years ago, but yeah. they're not allowed at Augusta every year. And this is just a PGA tour event. So if the USGA doesn't make a rule, you know, come next U S open, they can still use it. It's a USGA event, you know, yeah. the RNA doesn't ban it. They can use it in the open championship, but this is just for PGA yeah. tour events. It sounds like. Yeah. I didn't, I, I, I had quite a few events that had those books and, you know, any, if it was, if it was available, I, I would get it. But again, I, I was kind of like what, what McLean said. I, I didn't necessarily use it to putt. I used it to map out the round and where pin placements would be knowing if I was hitting an approach shot, you know, down grain or down, down slope, or if I was hitting back into the slope, I used it more for how I was going to set up my putt, not, not to read the green in terms of how much break to play. Um, but there are a lot of guys who use the, you know, aim point. Uh, I know that hadn't, hadn't been talked about quite that much in the last couple of years, but guys still use it and they really rely on that percentages. And there's, there's some I guys think that that's going to go up now. Yeah. Because they don't have the availability to use these, these books. But I mean, there's some guys who would take these little meters that would, <clears throat> they'd place them on different spots on where they think pins would be and it would give them the slope of the green. So they're like, Oh, I know in this back left, you know, the green slopes X amount or in this back right position, it slopes this amount. And that they didn't, they haven't, you haven't seen guys use these anymore because the, the books are all there and they tell them. Um, but you may see some guys using more of the, or caddies using those again and making their own, you know, making their own little books. Yeah. Um, I think you're dead on. Books. I think guys are definitely going to take those digital levels out there and, and chart them a little bit, you know, during their, their practice rounds and especially the guys who have the good caddies who go there and do it themselves. Yeah. And I do think you'll see more and more guys go back to aim point yeah. and, and use it more and become more of a thing without these, uh, these books. But so anything else boys, before we get to the U S open, let's go, man, I'm ready. I'm All ready. right. Yeah. U S open week. Um, Lindy, my wife, of the year. My, my wife is just thrilled, especially when I told her that it's on prime time. Until 10 o'clock every night so she understands she's not going to see me but hey it's, it's father's father's day week right so we get the whole week that's right that's right so u.s open uh tory pines second time hosting it since obviously 2008 don't need to go over what happened the last time they had the u.s open um but uh first let's let's talk about the golf course and we'll we'll get into you know our our picks here in a minute and some of the players and who we like and who we don't like, but what do you guys think of Torrey Pines as a venue? It's obviously a gorgeous part of the country on the cliffs over the water. You know, some people I don't, think... don't like Reese Jones's work, you know, since he's, you know, the U S open doctor, if you will, and changes things. A lot of people just don't like his work and he's, he's changed that course a couple of times. And I, I, I will say I, I'm, a, it's a little underwhelmed by the golf course, you know, I, I always watch it every year because normally that's where Tiger starts his season at. So I'm always tuned in. It's always a good field and usually pretty, some pretty good winners and good leaderboards. So I guess maybe it is a golf course if, if it's bringing the top players to it, but I feel like it could have been done a lot better with where the coastline is. And there's really not much water in play. It's the ocean's kind of there, but not there. I don't know. Some holes kind of run, run together for me. I don't know. I'm a little underwhelmed by the course. So I, I definitely agree with that, Mike. I think there is a way that you could possibly take advantage of the landscape and location better. But I will say that I do think it also exemplifies what West Coast golf is and some of the best parts of it. 
it's not in the same conversation as a Pebble Beach, Monterey Peninsula. I, I think the courses up there in that rotation are a little bit elevated. I do think that Torrey Pines is a little bit different from that. And I think that's one of the things that makes it great for a U.S. Open course. One of the things that I love about the U.S. Open venues, and you could argue this with the PGA to a certain extent as well, is that this is our nation's open with the U.S. Open. And it shows some of the best of American golf from all four corners. This just happens to be our southwestern tip um, of our continental 48 anyways. So I think it shows off a great part of what golf can be in Southern California. I think it's a great venue. It has obviously great vistas, um, but I think it's a good venue. I think the course is going to play tough. I think it's I think it's a really good U.S. Open venue. But I think it's Pebble. No, but I do like the fact that it is a. Again, just going back to it, it, it represents the part of the country that it's being held in. And that's one of the things that I think that's cool about the U.S. Open. And we see those different venues that really kind of project what golf is like in certain uh, certain areas. Yeah, and I, I, do, I, I do think it's cool that it's, you know, municipal. They do, what, like 55,000 rounds a year and just a, a, a factory. And I think that part is cool. I, I do. I mean, we see it every year. So it's I kind of wish they would choose venues that we maybe only see every five, six, seven years, not a standard tour stop that we've seen every year for how many decades now that part kind of bores me. I wish we were seeing new and different. And, um, you know, again, obviously we've seen Pebble beach a whole bunch cause they host an event as well, but you know, you go Pinehurst number two, right. You're seeing it every five, six, eight years go to some things where we're not just seeing it every year. It's just another bone yeah. I have to pick with, with the venue, but Jay, what are your thoughts on the golf course? Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree. I, I, you know, it is, it, it doesn't have the same feel of some of these other classic golf courses that, you know, they really only have a chance to host an open. They're not having a PGA tour stop every week. You know, I, I do get that. I think, I think it's a really cool golf course. Um, and I think the last couple holes are fun to watch. Um, but yeah, you, you, you made a good point. It, it, it's nice to see some of these older classic golf courses. I mean, there's so many, we, we talked about this with Curtis. There's so many old, really really well designed golf courses that they have decided that they're not going to use because they're they don't feel they're u.s open golf courses because they're not long enough and you know marion was one of the ones we talked about that that debunked that theory narrow the fairways grow the rough firm the greens that it, it plays tough mm -hmm. um so i think there's still a ton of untapped golf courses um that they could use but again they've only this is only the second time they've hosted the u.s open i, I don't I wouldn't think that they would go back here anytime soon, in my opinion. But I think because Tiger won in 2008 in such a, you know, in such a big, grand way, I think that was part of why they pushed to get it back. Um, you know, I don't. Yeah, I can see that. I don't think that the golf course is what made that tournament so amazing. It obviously was, you know, guy playing on one leg, and they went to an 18 hole playoff the next day. You know, that that's what made it incredible, and the fact that it was Tiger. <laughs> Do you think this is going to play similar to a lot of? U.S. Open venues as far as what you need to win. I mean, it's going to be distance. It's going to be keep it in play. You have a good short game, more so chipping than necessarily putting around the greens. Um, you think yeah. it kind of just play, plays right into that? Yeah, 100%. I, I think driving is going to be a premium this week based off of some of the footage of the rough that I've seen. Yeah. Strokes gain T to green. I mean, like almost every PGA tour event, but this one, even more so when you throw the scrambling, um, 
the scrambling aspect in there, guys who really have good short games. You're going to need to be able to get the ball up and down. You're going to need to be a great wedge player because there's going to be holes where you're chipping out. Um, so, you know, I, I look at some of these guys that obviously the, the, that hit it a long way, but some, who are the guys that really drive it, drive it well? Um, not necessarily the longest guys on tour, but drive it well, drive it fairly straight and are great iron players have a decent short game, maybe not the greatest putters. Um, these are the guys that I would think, because I think, you know, putting on those Poe greens out there, you're you know, the guys who putt great, you know, your strength is negated, you know, when you putt on greens like that, because the days are going to be long. They've got the tee times late. You know, if you're, if you're in the hunt, you're going to be putting, uh, putting on these things on Saturday and Sunday, you know, six, seven o'clock at night. I mean, you, we saw the putt that Tiger made in 2008. I mean, geez, Louise. I mean, how, how bumpy was that bumpy, thing? Yeah, it was airborne more than it was on the ground. Yeah. No, it's going to so, be a ball striker's paradise this week. You know, if, yeah. you're, if you're going to play well, you've got to be a complete player. And yeah. I think you made a great point, Jay. The short game around the greens is going to play a huge factor in it because they do have small greens. You're going to have to get up and down. I think if you can flight the golf ball and you have control over your golf ball this week and you can get up and down, I think you're you're poised to be a factor. Yeah, for sure. Yep. I uh I hundred percent agree there. What do you what do you guys think is winning score? What's the prediction there for winning score? Tiger was what playoff at one under? I think they're gonna I think it's gonna be close to that. Yeah, I mean I think if you're two, three under, you're probably taking home a trophy. Um, I think it's going to flirt somewhere around even par, but I think normally one guy's probably going to come in one or two under, like I said, two, three under, I think is a, a winner, but it all depends as well as what mother nature does and what the USGA is able to do with the golf course. Um, we all know they, they're going to want it to play very difficult and they, they like the winning score to be around that even par number. If the weather stays nice and the USGA can maintain control of the golf course, I think someone finishes under par, but it could also very easily if that if that weather can take a turn, which down there it can change. It's normally pretty nice that area this time of year, but you can get some squalls coming off the ocean. You can get some wind, and that can also play a factor. It it sounds like if the weather forecast holds, it's going to be just picture perfect San Diego weather, low to mid seventies, sunny, light variable winds. Um, and it sounds like the USGA is going to be able to do whatever the hell they want to do with that golf course based off of the weather. So I, I think three under wins. Okay. I like that. I said, I said five in a pool that I joined today. Got so much action going on with this thing. I am in four pools and was on the sports book app uh, just before Uh-oh. we started here, placing some, some wagers, but I, I had five under winning. I think because of the temperatures in that, I don't know if, I mean, it's going to get firm, but if you're not throwing wind at these guys or rain or that kind of stuff, someone's going to not get it going, right? It's hard to say get it going in a U.S. Open, but I like 500. That's what I'm going to say for the for the winning score. I like it. Yeah. I mean, if the wind plays any bit of a factor, um, <clears throat> it can definitely it can make that course very difficult from a driving perspective. Yeah. With how long that rough is. Absolutely. So, all right. Do we want to get into our picks and we can obviously Let's talk a little it. more in depth about the, uh, the players that we're picking and why your picks suck and mine are great. <laughs> all right, McLean, you seem to like you've done a ton of research 
this week. You feel ready. You feel good to go. Who are you picking? All right. So we're going to go from the highest dollar amount down. And at 9,300, I took the local boy, X-Man, Xander Schauffele. Um, Very complete player. I think someone who, who's going to play very well this week and be in the mix. Um, I think he's very comfortable now in front of the home crowd. I know we talked a little bit about this last night, um, but I think he's someone who is going to go out, feel very comfort, very comfortable where he is playing that golf course, have a little bit of uh, the home contingent there with him uh, to help root him on. I think he's played in front of them enough now to be comfortable. So I look for him to contend. Um, from there, I got to take the most recent winner, the guy everyone loves to hate, Patrick Reed at 9,000. Uh, the guy did just win there by five shots, so you have to like him from a betting perspective. Um, moving down the list at 8,900. So I didn't go with the big high dollar amount this time. I, I took kind of three guys right at a similar dollar amount, but quite frankly, I think all three of these guys have a chance of winning this week. So 8,900, runner-up specialist, Mr. Tony Finau. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to say much about what he's been doing. Tony. You know, the guy is, the guy is an absolute stud. So you know, recently he finished 32nd at the Memorial, 20th at Charles Schwab, 8th at the PGA. You know, Kiowa is a different golf course, but it is an it's almost an East Coast version of a similar styled golf course as you'll see at Torrey. So Tony played well there. I think he's someone who could really has control of I'm sorry, the better way of saying it. I think he really has control of of the trajectory of his golf ball. He can flight it when need to. He's got a lot of speed. I think he's someone who's going to play well at Torrey. And he's got a really good um, track record there. I think his highest finish in 2015 is T24. So I, I really like him going into this week. Um, and he also fits that mold as a great ball striker, not a great putter. So shout out to kind of what Jay said. He's been in contention there a lot. And, uh, you know, that that uh, equation seems to add up. Um, moving down from there. I took Terrell Hatton, guy who's been playing well over here on this side of the pond. Um, the guys finished second last week at Palmetto, kind of backdoored into it a little bit. 38th at the PGA Championship, 39th at RBC, 18th at the Masters. You know, he's one of those guys I think is going to break through on the majors, uh, the major scale at some point. I think he's played enough now on this side. He's very comfortable. I think he's played enough in big events that he's very comfortable. Um, I kind of like the way he goes about it. I like his game. I'm looking for him to play well also, especially a guy from England. He knows how to flight the golf ball. Um, moving down, I another vet, Adam Scott. Adam mm. Scott last played at the Memorial, finished 16th, missed the cut at the PGA, 54th at the Masters, 13th at the Honda. So he's been a little bit up and down. He's only missed one cut this year, um, which was at the PGA, but – when you go back to a career guy, I think, again, someone who has a very complete game, tee to green, um, things could possibly go his way. That Poana could help him a little bit. I think he's he's played well there in the past. I think he's also played well there in the past. Um, again, veteran, not concerned about anything, can shine in the biggest lights, uh, former major winner. I, I, I look to see Adam Scott make the cut and you know get into that top 25, hopefully get into the mix a little bit. And then – Without further ado, from West Texas, the low draw, Mr. Ryan Palmer. The guy's a horse for a course. Like, I'm so happy when Tory comes around because I know I can pick Ryan and he's going to go for a low dollar amount. I expect his percentage on. Why do you need, well, you don't need Tory to pick Ryan Palmer. You pick him every other week. 
You're right. He's sneaky. He's sneaky, man. He's got a great, he's had a great career. Um, he can get out there and absolutely ball out. He has really, really good control of his golf ball. Um, I look, I look for him to finish uh, top 25 at worst. All right. So go get a quick rundown again. All, all six names real fast. All right. Xander, Patrick, Tony Finau, Tyrrell Hatton, Adam Scott, Brian Palmer. Okay. Do you guys know Xander Shoffley's first name is actually Alexander? Xander is just short. Didn't know that. I like him a little bit less after I heard that because Xander's <laughs> a badass name. <laughs> I don't know. He could have been Alex. He's like, nah, we're taking the other half of this. Okay. One. I like where you went with that. I like how you flipped that. Um, anyway, so uh, uh, Jay, how about you? I'm Good ready. squad, McLean. Good squad. Yeah, that I is. Mean, a, I've got a couple duplicates here. I've got a couple duplicates too, but it's not um, the best squad, but it's a good squad. Um, well, I went with Ryan Palmer as well at 7,100 uh, for various reasons. Um, you know, you've already named all of them. Because it's a, it's a good <laughs> damn pick. That's why you pick. It is a good pick. I mean, he's actually been playing well. 14 out of 16 cuts. He's at 7,100. I think he's priced right. He's He likes that course. He plays well there. Granted, conditions are not necessarily U.S. Open conditions, um, but. Um, he I did finish that, second at Torrey there, at Torrey uh, this January. Farmers. No, yeah, no, I'm saying that not not in U.S. Open conditions at, at Torrey, though. But, but um, needless to say, at 7,100, I still think he's got – Good vibes there, so I think he'll play well. Um, I've got Shane Sugar Shane Lowry, who just loves these super tough golf courses, and he's got like magic hands. Like this guy can chip like nobody's business, and he's you know he's a good ball striker too. It's a pretty daggone long, good iron player, great wedge player, great short game. So you know he just plays tough golf courses as well. So I have a feeling he's gonna he's going to uh, step it up. Uh, he was at seventy six hundred. Up the list here, another great ball striker, not known for his putting, um, Justin Rose. He's been a little sporadic this year, but um, again, I've heard a couple people going with him this week. When when the when the courses get really tough, he just always comes out. You know, uh, you know, a perfect example. Um, you know, PGA Championship out of nowhere finished eighth, finished seventh at the Masters. You know, with a couple other. You know, golf courses he, he, you know, didn't play well at, you know, the Arnold Palmer's uh, tournament down at Bay Hill, not known for being a overly tough golf course. It is a good golf course and it's, it's, but not, not like us open or PGA championship conditions. And he didn't play well there, but um, needless to say, he's been a little up and down, but he always seems to play well on these really tough golf courses. Um, so we give him a shot uh, next up the list, 8,100 Louis Oosthuizen. Um, it's just been playing super solid. Um, I don't really know what else to say. I mean, he just for the, for $8,100, he just seems to be in the mix a lot. And uh, I feel like he's riding high, some good confidence. Second at the PGA, uh, and obviously 18th at the Memorials, his last event. So, uh, I think he'll, I think he'll have a good week. Um, then I'm up to Mr. Xander Alexander Shoffley. Again, another guy who plays well on these really tough golf courses. Um, he, he hasn't gotten the job done yet. I don't know if he's going to do it this week, but the guy does. But he's going to do it at some point. He, I feel like he's going to do it at some point. Um, I love the guy, but he's he's a, he's approaching Tony Finau territory. He's getting close. He's getting close. So uh, we'll see if he can uh, see if he can break free. Um, and again, you know, just with his new his new arm lock putter. New arm lock putter. 
So again, we'll see how he does. Um, and then at the top, I was able to sneak Colin Morikawa in again. Great, great tee to green player. Obviously, one of the best iron games in in the game. Um, he, I know he struggles with his putting, but again, out there, he doesn't have to be a great putter. I don't feel like um, to get it done. He can ball strike everybody to death. Uh, he's at ninety five hundred. So. Um, that's who I have. I had two lineups and neither one of them I was able to submit. So if somebody could send me the link again, I'll do it. Um, but I've got it. I, right. it's, it's on uh, air. Well, we'll, we'll send you the link. So it's um, also on our Instagram bio nice. for anyone that's looking to get in last that's minute. Right. It's on our Instagram bio. It's on the post that we put up today. So um, while I'm giving my winning team, Jay, click on that link. <laughs> So, believe it or not, actually, uh, four of my team has already been picked. Two, two of you. Do you each have two of my guys? So, um, I'm going to start at the bottom. Someone no one picked. Max Homa, seventy three hundred dollars. You know, for a PJ Tour winner this year on a tough golf course at Riviera. Handful of of top tens, top. Um, Top 20s this year. I feel like that was just a steal. Southern California guy has played well at Torrey before. You know, um, that was a steal of the century right there at 7,300 with Max Homa. I then go up to Shane Lowry, 7,600 uh, for the reasons Jay, Jay said. But, I mean, you look at um, a bunch of top 10s here recently going back to the players. What, four, four, four top 10s in his last six events. A couple of other top uh 25s so plays tough golf course as well and, and I, I like his hands around the greens like like jay said i then go up to uh abraham answer didn't play well in his last start over in europe but going back on his pj the pj tour his last five events have been in the top 15 so again good form uh good ball striker you know uh he actually puts it pretty well too and and we know he's got just a touch of an angel around the greens. So, uh, Abe, Abe answer at 7,900. I was pretty pleased with those guys. all sub 8,000. I then go up, um, to Mr. Uh, Tyrell Hatton for the reasons, um, who was that McLean? You have him. I do. Mr. Tyrell, Mr. Tyrell Hatton. Tyrell. He's been playing, playing well. I, I picked him last week and he got me a second place finish, although it didn't help my shitty team last week, but he kind of Just, backdoored into that last week. He did. He did. Thanks to Chesson. Um, but yeah, so been playing well. I just like him. He's a grinder. And uh, as long as he doesn't blow a gasket out there, and we'll, we'll be all right. And that's, that's a pretty big if. But yeah, I love it when he does, though. His self commentary is fantastic. It's, oh, it's awesome. It is, it is fun to watch. And then uh, I go up to Patrick Cantlay, recent winner, Southern Cowboy. McLean kind of already went over his his deal, but again, just another pure ball striker up there, tee to green, strokes gained, and that's a, that's a, just becomes a huge stat in a, in a U.S. Open. And then my winner, ninety five hundred dollars already picked tonight, but Colin Morikawa will win the U.S. Open. Just a pure ball striker, good short game, average putter at best, but I, like we've talked about, the Poena I think is going to help him there. And I read a stat earlier in this week. They, I don't know who put this on. I wasn't even a stat, but I don't know who wrote, wrote the article, but they were saying that 14 of the 18 greens 
favors a left to right ball flight. Hmm. Are you going to pick Colin Morikawa for every major until he wins one? He has won one. On the PGA Are back you in August. Pick Colin Morikawa for every major <laughs> until he wins another one. <laughs> sure, I love the guy. I mean, look at his finishes. No, I agree. I Second, fourteenth, eighth, seventh, eighteenth. Okay, so he had played well, played poorly at the players, made the missed the cut. Uh, but finished forty first. First, I mean seventh, seventh. Like all I'm trying to point out is that you're starting to develop a little bit of a man crush on the kid. And- <laughs> no, it's it's a pretty hardcore man crush. I'll admit it. You know? <laughs> I mean, he just hits that little peel cut every time. It's beautiful to watch. I like his, you know, his demeanor. He's envious of the cut. Um, yeah, because right now I have a two-way miss, so I would love to hit that one stock shot over and over and over and over and over again. Um, like we talked about on, on last week's pod, just hit it, and, or two weeks ago, whenever that was, hit it and hit it again. Um, I just think he's unflappable. I mean, yeah, his putting can get a little squirrely, but I don't think he's going to get in his own head. I don't think the pressure is going to affect him. I like the way he talks to the media and handles the fans. I love the guy. All right. You know, Xander was up there was one of my man crushes, but he's starting to slide down and Morikawa was going up. I think we need to refer to Xander as Alexander from now on in this podcast. Alexander Shockley. Okay until he wins and we can go back to Xander. Um, but anyways, uh, I love my team. I feel really confident. Um. So I think it's yeah. going to be I think it's going to be a tight one based on a lot of a lot of people picking the same same guys. I think whoever if whoever gets the winner um, and then well, obviously, whoever gets the winner usually is in a good spot. But I think a lot of us having the same guys, I think it's going to be pretty tight. I think it's going to be a hell of a leaderboard. I just feel like I don't know. I'm obviously we all want to see a duel of some sort between some of these big names. There's no real one guy jumping out to me as a clear cut favorite. I mean, you could legitimately talk me into 12 guys, 15 guys as the favorite. Yeah. You know, I know Rom's a pretty, I wouldn't say heavy betting favorite, but with his whole ordeal, who knows how he's going to handle it. He does play that golf course very well and has a game that fits it. But I think it's it pretty, I think it's pretty wide open. Yeah. You know, from a from a who can win. There's a there's a lot of guys. No one's the clear dominant player in the game, which we've talked about right now, everyone kind of has their ups and downs and plays well for a couple of weeks and then goes away and then plays well for a couple of weeks. So that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm, I'm hoping we get just, you know, it's not going to be all top 10 guys in the top 10, but if we can get a handful of them up there and, and have an entertaining, it seems like Tory, even for the, for the farmer's insurance every year does have a close winner. There's not many runaways there. I always feel like it's coming down to that 18th hole, that that par five in some form or fashion. Yeah. Other than this year. Was it a runaway this year? Patrick Reed won by five. Oh, well, I kind of forgot about that because he was fluffing balls everywhere. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> you know, play it, play it as you want it to lie. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. So, wait, another take on this U.S. Open that we didn't get to. Do you think the USGA should have put Bryson and Brooks together? Yes. A hundred percent. That would have been so good. Absolutely. Talk about primetime TV, those two well, guys. Just give give the people what they want. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's definitely cliche to do it, but just go ahead. What the I, hell? Do it. I feel like Bryson it was in a is in a lose lose, right? He's so, a so, either way, you're right. Well, well, yeah, I I'll second that. Um, but like so allegedly the USJ asked him if he would want the pairing and he declined. 
And so that's going to almost make it even worse and kind of kick the can down the road. You know, people are going to probably give him a harder time because of that. They're really going to yell Brooksy at him on the golf course this weekend because he didn't want to play with Brooks. You know, that's, but then if he's funny. then if he says yes and plays with Brooks, then it becomes right to the forefront of the story, which is already pretty close to the the, the lead story. I don't know. I, it's just, I mean, obviously for entertainment value, I would have loved to see these you know, two guys. If they throw, both throw play Patrick well. Reed as the third too. Yeah, yeah I mean that's that, because I can promise just, you, Patrick would have taken that head on. That's the one thing I give Patrick credit for. They told you, "Hey, you want to play with your sworn enemy?" Patrick, I, I think he absolutely. would. I think he would roast those guys. I and think he, he would beat them by five. Right? They yeah. would be all caught up with each other, and a hundred percent. No one's going to be paying attention to Reed fluffing balls, and he was I mean, he'll shoot five shots lower. That would be a complete utter, rest. complete utter circus. <laughs> I, I want that pairing so bad now. I would, I would clear my day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That would be appointment TV or streaming or featured group, whatever it is. It would be. Don't bother me. I'm, I'm watching these two. Yeah, be screening calls. <laughs> you do that anyways. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> But anyways, I'm looking forward to it. I think it should be fun. It's always a great weekend. Just better, like I said, that it's it's on prime time. Um, to Golf watch on prime time is fantastic, and you're uh, exactly right, Mike. You were talking about it recently. I got into the women last weekend, um, watching their event late night. Uh, I, I think what they were up in San Francisco. Yep. Um, God, it was fun. It is. It's just like you know, because you know, you Thursday, Friday, for me, Saturday, Sunday, we're, we're working, so sometimes you miss the coverage, and it's like. You turn it on at five o'clock and you're watching the last six holes, um, or less than that at five o'clock. Where now you're turning on five o'clock and the leaders are going to be teeing off on Saturday. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I love it. It's easier to watch and more enjoyable, and you get a little buzz on versus watching it at two o'clock in the afternoon. Like it. Well, when well, you can get a buzz on at two o'clock in the afternoon too. <laughs> As McLean raises his hand. <laughs> Well, boys, that was fun. Uh, look forward to following on the picks. Jay, I see that you got in the uh, contest. Congratulations. I got in. You're in. in. Jay's in. I'm in. I'm in. And uh, we got a good contingent. So, again, if you can get this in sooner, you might be listening to this as too late as we're going to put this out Thursday morning, day one. But um, they got till 947, I believe. That's right. Um, well, that's crazy. The first tee time out there is 647 a.m. Uh, big field. Big field. That is That is nuts. But anyways thank you to mclean jay tom we wish you the best can't believe i made you sick with my golf game the other day <laughs> you don't even want to see my face you hit it so bad tom was just a carrier it made his son sick <laughs> <laughs> i was i was patient zero um <laughs> so thanks to our listeners enjoy it and we'll be back uh next week with recapping all the action from the united states open take care